We are looking in Colossians this morning again. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Colossians 3. Again, the words are on the screen, and uh, I'm going to read it out for us. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, then also will appear. Sorry, I'll start again. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We get in Colossians to a turning point as we've been studying this book. A turning point because the rest of the letter Paul concentrates and focuses on now. Who you are, now in the light of that, live like this. This is how to live. And you see, one of the themes of Colossians is this. The gospel works in your life. And it is enough. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, who he now has made us, his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, the gospel is enough for you and I. See, as we've said before, there's people in Colossae who are saying, you need more. Just knowing Jesus, just having Jesus isn't enough. You need more. You need special, to celebrate special days. Do certain rituals. You need to worship certain angels. They were adding things to the gospel. And Paul is saying, Jesus is enough for you. And as we look at this passage, we can sometimes think, oh, do you know, it's just about, just learn the things that I don't have to do. That's what this passage is all about. Just find out the things that I don't have to do, that it talks about in this passage, and don't do them. That's it. But you see, the problem with every human is not that we just do more bad things than good things, and we just have to learn how to do some more good things and avoid the bad things. That's not the problem. The problem is there is something fundamentally wrong with humans. But if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been changed. That is the good news. So this was illustrated recently in an interview with um, 
uh, well, the interview wasn't recent because she's no longer with us, but it was illustrated in an interview with Whitney Houston, who you know, the great uh, American singer who died last month. Um, and uh, this interview took place in 2002 uh, with Whitney Houston, and she was asked by the interviewer, Diane Sawyer, which drug was her biggest devil? You know, she expected her to mention things like cocaine, heroin, types of alcohol. Which is your biggest devil? And this is how Whitney Houston replied. That would be me. It's my deciding. It's my heart. It's what I want, what I don't want. Nobody makes me do anything I don't want to do. It's my decision. The biggest devil is me. Now, I'm not making a judgment on was she saved or not. I'm not making a judgment on what she thinks of the devil. But what is really interesting is this. She's saying, the biggest problem isn't that there's bad things and I keep doing them. There's drugs and I do them. The biggest problem is in me. So I want to look at three things this morning. Three things the gospel changes. The good news of Jesus changes. Firstly, the gospel changes our identity. We've heard about that already this morning, actually, during some of the contributions. Secondly, the gospel changes our lifestyle. And thirdly, the gospel changes our community. So the gospel changes our identity. It's really important as Christians that we understand who we are, and what has happened in our lives. So this follows on from Paul last week as well. The Apostle Paul starts this, letter, uh, starts this passage we're reading saying this, Since you have been raised with Christ. Referring what has happened to us. We have been raised with him. You've been given new life. There is something brand new about you. Something brand new. See, when Jesus died, I was included in his death. And when he was raised, I was included in his life. And we celebrate that in baptism, like Paul talked about last week. Amazing. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. See, the old life, it says, the old, my old life didn't live for God, didn't want to live for God. Actually, it was a slave. It was slave to sin. It did what sin said. It was enslaved. But now, now I've been made something new. Now you have been made something new. And then in verse 3, it goes on to say this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden not in the sense of hidden away, out of sight, out of sight of the world's problems, out of sight of everyone else, but rather stored away safely. Like when you store away something so that it doesn't get lost. Like when you go on holiday or when you go travelling and you have the travel tickets or you have your passports and you store them away safely so that they don't get lost. Perhaps you give them to the person who's most responsible to look after them. I can imagine 
It's probably not Raj that you give the passports to, is it, when you go on holiday? No. You give them to the person who says, I'm going to store them safely. They're safe with me. I'm going to look after them. Who is it for you, Matthew and Miriam? It's Matthew, is it? Is it? Oh, okay. Right. Okay. (laughs) Stored away safely. See, our lives are secure, hidden with Christ in God. And there is nowhere more secure. You need to know that this morning. See, our lives are identified with him now. Because he's secure in God the Father, we're secure in God the Father. See, we might even still face troubles. We might face difficulties. We might face stuff that is hard. But we're secure in him. Like Sarush read out this morning, nothing can separate us from the love of God. See, it's not, if you're a really good Christian, if you work really hard, then eventually you'll get to that stage where you're securing God. It's not that. It's true if you've been a Christian for a few weeks, a few months, and it's true if you've been a Christian for years. Okay, who's been a Christian for, say, less than a year? You're secure in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. It's true for you. Who's been a Christian for over uh, 20 years? You're secure in Christ, hidden with him in God. This is so, so important. See, it wasn't about what can you do to add to the gospel to make you secure. No, you are secure in Christ. See, we've been raised with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. And what did we do to achieve this? What did we do? Mike, what did we do? (laughs) Nothing! (laughs) We did nothing! The grace of God did it all. What did we do? Nothing. We accepted it as a gift. It's a good job it's a gift, isn't it, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) It's a long number of years, isn't it, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to say 80. (laughs) Anyway, um, it was accepted as a gift. It's so, so important. See, we can sometimes think, oh, it's about how good my day's been. How good have I been today? How good have I been this week? Perhaps that's what it's based on. Now, here's a great quote from... Martin Luther, who was a great Christian hero from the 1500s, and he battled against the church of the time that said, no, no, being a Christian, being secure in Christ is about what you can do, what you can add to it, and how, what good things you can do. This is what Martin Luther said to one of his friends. When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know of one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Amazing. Then he goes on in verse 4 to say, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. See, 
our lives are so wrapped up in Jesus now that there's almost a sense of when he returns, actually we're involved in it. We're involved in his return. We'll appear with him in glory. It's a bit like, um, who, are there any train spotters in the room? Paul, any train spotters? I have to explain this for anyone not from the UK perhaps. Maybe that's a bit of a culturally unsound thing to say because they might have train spotters in other countries. But people who hang around at train stations photographing trains that arrive to see them and uh, write them down in a book. Oh, there's the 3.30 from uh, wherever Leeds and they write it down in their book and they keep... And, uh, you know, they're waiting for the train to appear and the train appears and they get their cameras out and they photograph it and they write it down. It's appeared. But do you know it appears with people inside it? It appears and people are inside it. And it's that sense of, do you know, when Christ appears, we're in him. And there's something of us uh, being um, involved in his return. And then Paul goes on to say, okay, because of who you are, because of your new identity, seek things that are above. Now, does this mean we ignore earthly things? You know, things like jobs and studying and work and stuff like that? Do we just ignore that? Because they're earthly things and they're not things above. No, no, because he's going to go on to say, uh, I think we'll do this next week, uh, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. What about families? They're earthly. Uh, What about fiancés? They're earthly, aren't they? Uh, What about marriages? Parents? Children? No, 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 because he's going to go on to say, right, in the light of who you are, Live your relationships out like this. So what does he mean? He means you've been given new power in life. Now seek the advance of God's kingdom. Live for what he sees as valuable. Don't live for things like ah oh, the abundance of money. Simply just living for me, being honoured more than everyone else. Paul's saying that's not you anymore. You're new. Okay, so the gospel changes our identity. Point number two, the gospel changes our lifestyle. Who never did anything wrong again after they became a Christian? Okay, who never did anything wrong after they became a Christian? You see, the punishment was taken for our sin. The punishment we deserved, the penalty we deserved, was taken by Jesus. We're declared righteous. We're his forever. There's no sin that wasn't dealt with on the cross. Yet we still sin, don't we? I know I still can sin. And I do stuff wrong. And I know you do as well. See, some people think they'll be perfect. When they become a Christian, it's exciting and I've given my life to Jesus and, oh, there's difficulties. There's temptations. There's battles. I keep messing up in this area, but, oh, I thought, I thought I'd be perfect. I thought I'd become a Christian and just kind of float around and everything would be perfect. So how does Paul approach this? Because he knows that's the case. He says, know where you are, know who you are, know where you're located now, you're in Christ. Now, in the light of these things, 
put to death the things that are incompatible with your old life. Put them to death. It's like getting married. You know, if you have got married and you were single and you, you're married, your identity has changed. You're now one flesh. You're now married. You're now a husband or a wife. Yet, you have to learn how not to do things that you did as a single person. I don't live like that anymore because now I'm married and I have to learn how not to live like a single person and I need to do and live like I'm a married person. You see, what's really, really interesting is that Paul doesn't call them to live a different life before first explaining that they're a new person. But equally, he doesn't talk about being a new person without saying, because you're a new person, you will live a different way. You will have a different lifestyle. It will affect your behaviour and your lifestyle. So it's not, you better do these things, else you'll be in trouble with God. But rather, because of who you are now, now live like this. Sin is foreign to you now. It's not who you are. You're not simply a miserable sinner who can't do anything else but sin, enslaved to sin. Now you're new. Now put to death those things that are foreign to you. Strong language, isn't it? Put it to death. But this is what God thinks of sin. He's serious about it. Put it to death. And there seem to be two particular sets of behaviour that Paul is addressing in this passage. The first is in verse 5, and the, first, the second is in verse 8. And uh, I had to do a bit of study on this, because I'm not very clever, but all the commentators, all the people that I read, seem to agree that there were two particular sets of behaviour that Paul was addressing. The first in verse 5 is sexual sin, and the second in verse 8 is relational sin. Maybe these were issues in Colossae at the time. They certainly are today, aren't they? Who, who knows someone here today who needs to hear a message about sex and sexual temptation and uh, you know that kind of stuff? Okay. <laughs> who knows that they need to hear a message about sex and sexual temptation and some of the temptations in the world? Oh, you fibbers. Okay, I'll turn my back around so you can't see. And I'm putting my hands up. Who needs to hear a message about sexual temptation and how to live a godly life for him, for Jesus? Okay, I didn't look, so it's okay. And again, who, who knows someone who could do with hearing something about how to live in good relationships and how to relate to one another? Yeah, but actually, I need to hear it as well. I need to hear it, and you need to hear it. Paul says to them, put to death. You do it. We can always think of the person, oh yeah, that message is for someone else. They really need to hear that. But no, we need to hear it too. So, he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, he's tackling wrong attitudes to sex. 
Even the last one where it says greed, which is idolatry. Again, looking this up, it can be translated as excess or uh, covetousness or just, we have a saying, don't we, going over the top. Oh, he's gone over the top. It's an English saying. He's gone over the top. He's gone further. He's wanted more than he or she should. It's got this idea of a growing, destructive relationship with sex and sensuality. It becomes the thing we live for, we worship. See, guys, I say that in the male only way, men, lads, is it what you're looking at? I don't know, it just starts with a website. Ah, but but then it's, it's more and Oh, but then it's, oh, it's only once a blue moon, but now it's every month, oh, now it's every week. And then it grows. And you can see it becomes greed and excess. Women, is it drawing your identity from how men look at you rather than your identity in Christ? Hey, I'll impress that guy if I act sexually around him. I'll really impress him, and that will make me feel good. Or, well, my my boyfriend said he loved me. He says he loves me. So it's okay to go that bit further, isn't it, physically, than I'm comfortable with, because he said he loves me, and I'm drawing my identity from him. No, no, draw your identity from who you are in Christ. That's where your identity comes from. The old you isn't you anymore. Put to death that behaviour. See, is Paul saying that sex is dirty and sex is to be avoided? No. He made it. God made it. But outside of his plan for it, it leads to disastrous consequences. See, God's plan is for sex to be involved in loving, committed, faithful relationship between husband and wife. Here's a great quote I found from Matt Hosier, who leads a church down in Poole. And he says this. He says that God created sex, and it's meant to be enjoyed in the ways that he says. But then he goes on to say this. The trouble is that in our screwed-up world, we normally end up getting distracted by the good things. Food, clothes, possessions, sex, and making them our gods. Which then only screws things up further. Where we need to get to is an understanding that the good things are not ends in themselves but given to us so that we can enjoy God more. Which means that even sex, when it is good sex, what does he mean by that? God's plan for it, God's intention, the marriage, even good sex is something that is meant to help us worship God. Which means that when it's not God's intention for it, it doesn't worship God and it doesn't honour God. And this is what Paul's tackling. But what I want to say this morning is that if you've messed up in this area, if you sense, oh, do you know, I know I've messed up there. I know I am messing up there. Thank God he forgives. Thank God he restores. Thank you by his grace he comes to us and he reminds us that we're his and he helps us to put to death those things. Second set of behaviour is in verses 8 and 9. And it's about relational stuff. It says this, Rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
And it says, do not lie to one another. See, they're all about speech, aren't they? What comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your lips? They're about how we talk and relate to one another. Anger, rage from our lips. It can be so destructive to those around us. Malice, kind of evil speaking. Slander, saying something about someone to put them in a different light. Filthy language, which is less about swear words, but more about abusive, divisive language. And then don't lie to one another, he says. See, the way we talk to one another is quite powerful, isn't it? It's a powerful thing. The tongue is a powerful thing. Look at your tongue. You can't look at your tongue, can you? Actually, I've just thought. No, you can't. Think about your tongue. It's a powerful thing. This is what James says about the tongue in chapter 3 of his letter. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And I'm sure you're aware of the way we can use our words to build people up or to put people down. It is a powerful, powerful thing. How we relate to one another is very, very important. See, Paul's going to go on in this letter to say, put on patience, have compassionate hearts, forgive one another. See, these are the ways... He wants us to relate to one another. How we relate to one another is very, very important. See, out of these two issues that we've looked at, often we can see sexual sin and go, oh yes, that's the one, I know lots of people like that. Yep, or or I can recognise it in me even. But relational sin, we say, maybe that's not not as bad a sin. Maybe that's not so bad. Maybe I don't recognise that so much in myself. But Paul says, no, no, it's serious. Put it away. It's not you anymore. See, Jesus said, didn't he, um, this is how people will know you're my disciples. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, by the way you live in community with one another. See, how we relate to one another is so important. Which leads me to my final point. The gospel changes our community. So we've already seen how it changes us. We've already seen how it changes how we relate uh, and, and how it affects lifestyle and behaviour. And now it changes our community. It ends with this words, this passage. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, uh, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So he says here, He's talking about the church. That's where he means. And it's encouraging, well, perhaps not encouraging, it's interesting to note that even 2,000 years ago, there was issues in the church about different types of people and how they relate. People saying, oh, they're not like us. They're different to us. Oh, they're they're a different kind of Christian. They're a second-rate Christian because they are slightly different to me. That's wrong. Jesus-centred, spirit-filled communities are meant to be different to that. See, Paul says in Ephesians, you're being built together like a, like a house. You're being built together like living bricks into a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Individuals being made into a community together while God lives. 
So there's walls being demolished in groups, isn't there? The things that used to divide us should no longer divide us. And I'm not just saying English and non-English. Oh, it's just about English and non-English. No, it's about backgrounds. It's about cultures. It's about ages. It's about genders. Those walls are meant to be demolished in the family of God. See, don't just say, oh, I just like people like me. I just hang around with people that like me, that like the things I like. Do you know, our prayer in Jubilee is that we would genuinely love one another and genuinely build together as community, as different people from different backgrounds, different nations, different cultures. See, we're still diverse. I'm not talking about all being the same and uh, all just looking the same and all just acting the same. No, we're diverse people, aren't we? Have a look around. Have a look around. You can. It's okay, you don't have to look at me all morning. You probably wouldn't want to look at me all morning. Have a look around. We're different. We're diverse, aren't we? We're diverse. We're different. And if you were at the prayer meeting during our week of prayer when um, Lucy brought that word about shaking off the grey. You know, sometimes we can feel a bit grey, can't we? Come on, shake it off. We're diverse. We're different. It's okay to be who we are and who we're made to be. And Paul says, even Scythians, or Scythians, I'm not sure how to say that, these were people who were kind of like barbarians in that part of the world. They certainly weren't uh, civilised Greek speakers, certainly weren't Romans. They were a bit different. Not accepted in mainstream society, perhaps. See, who is that for you? Are people from that area, people who do that, oh, God wouldn't accept them. I'm not sure they would fit in the church. God can't love them. That's rubbish. What about Alpha? Oh, that person would never come on Alpha. No, 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 God could never change them. No, 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 no. That's rubbish. Even, Paul's saying, even Scythians or Scythians, part of this community. Even the person you know who seems furthest away from God, God can melt their hearts in an instant. So what is it that holds this community together, Paul says? It's Christ who is all and is all and is in all. It's all about him. Our identity, our lifestyle, our community, it's all about him. If you're visiting us this morning, I hope that's the message you've got. It's all about him. He's the one we come together to worship. He's the one we give our very lives to. It's about Jesus. See, so many religions and philosophies and lifestyles are centred on a set of rituals, centred on a behaviour, a set of values that everyone signs up to. But Christianity is Christ-centred. It's focused on him. Uh, uh, John says this in 1 John 5, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. 
See, if you're not a Christian here this morning and you know my identity is based somewhere else, it's not in Jesus, you can come to know him today. Just as Jill brought that contribution this morning, saying, don't worry about who you are. God will give you a new identity. God will give you a new identity. That's what he wants to do to you today. We'd love to, to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. See, what's our response today? Let's response, respond. The danger of a passage like this is that we, we go, okay, it's just about doing harder things, trying harder, doing the things I know I shouldn't do. It's just about doing that. But you see, like I've said, one of the main themes of Colossians is the gospel works. The gospel of Jesus works. Who he is, his life, his death, his resurrection, his coming to live in us by the Spirit, works. It changes us. And maybe there's areas of your life you know need to change. Well, do you know it's not about, oh, try a bit harder, just try a bit harder this week. No, it's knowing who you are in Christ. I'm a new creation, set free, filled with his Spirit. And now in the light of that, hey, I'm going to put to death these things that don't belong to me, these things that aren't me anymore. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. He reminds us who we are in Christ. He reminds us that we're him, we're his. And he helps us to live. And he helps us to put to death those things that aren't us anymore. I want us to respond this morning to that. I want to give opportunity, especially after um, the worship as well, to respond to some of those words as well. Um, can I ask everyone to stand for a moment and can I ask the band to come up? Just a little thing on our communication cards. Obviously, we mentioned last week we're not going to do them anymore, but what we are going to do is there's a sheet on your notice sheet. If you're a visitor, if you've got any questions, when we take the offering during the last song, you can just fill in those details and pop it in the offering bucket, and uh, we'll get back to you. Um, So you can do that. But I just want us to pray. I just want us to come to Jesus. Let's look to him. Lord Jesus.